Our Bible reading this morning is from Acts chapter 2, from verses 1 through to 21, and that's found in your pew Bibles on page 1093. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men here speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. We're going to join together in prayers for others. So let's join our hearts and our minds together as we come before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you this morning, even from our scripture reading in Acts 2, that we see the good news of Jesus is again for every nation under heaven. And today we rejoice and give thanks that Mosul has been recaptured. Father, over these last number of years and months of devastation and fear and uncertainty for the city and its people, we give you thanks that today there is freedom, there is the opening of hope, We pray for wise decisions over these coming months. We pray for those who will influence the direction of that city by their governance. And we pray that many will consider returning to their native city to see its life built up again. We pray for those who are Christians in that place. Lord, help your people to be faithful to you, to love those around them, and to be prayerful towards their fellow citizens as they seek the prosperity and the peace of that city. Lord, today we just give you thanks and we pray that you will lead this place and its people forward 
and that it will know the good news of the gospel, we pray. Father, today we pray for Colin and Glynis and Sandra and the wider family in their loss and grief. We thank you for Molly's life and times. Thank you that she professed a trust in you. Thank you that she enjoyed the Psalms being read to her. And we pray that this upcoming service of thanksgiving will be one that remembers her life with thankfulness and your faithfulness. But we also look to you as the one who can bring comfort and true hope at this time. And we pray that you'll do this for the family, we pray. Father, we pray for that woman in Dublin who is facing murder charges after her toddler was found dead. Lord, we pray for her as she receives treatment. Lord, help her, protect her mind and her emotions and her soul. And as she faces the justice of the court system, may she know the hope in the midst of the responsibility that she needs to take. Lord, have mercy on her, we pray. Lord, we bring before you the family of Gavin Moore, who died suddenly and tragically as he was cycling this week. We pray for the Moore family. We pray particularly for Jim and Irene, for his siblings, for his two young children, and the wider community. Lord, help them as they come to terms with the tragedy. Lord, point them to eternal matters. Point them to the one who can bring comfort, Lord, the one who can make sense of all that has happened. And Father, we look to you as the one who would bring good from this situation by drawing many to yourself, we pray. Lord, be with them and bless them. Lord, today we pray for the many children and teens camps that are continuing to happen over the summer months. We thank you, Lord, particularly for those in Mullingar Presbyterian this week and how many kids went along. Thank you for the trust that's been built up over the last number of years with parents and communities. And we pray that that will just strengthen the relationship of making Jesus known in that place. We give you thanks for the work that has gone on over these many years, and we pray that you'll continue to prosper that work for the sake and the glory of your own name. Lord, we pray for those connected with us who've gone out from here. We thank you for the return of the Moldova team, and we thank you, Lord, for those who are continuing to do mission in locally and across this world. Lord, continue to be with them. We pray for the walkway summer activities as it begins tomorrow. Father, be with the leaders and helpers. We pray for good relationships to be built up and a real sense of community to be fostered. And we pray that there will be opportunities to love these children well in word and deed as an expression of God's grace to us, which is overflowing to them. Protect this week to all and may good come from this week that would extend and make known the gospel and the kingdom of God, we pray. Lord, in this moment of silence, we bring those concerns and burdens that we carry and we bring them to you now. Father, in your mercy, hear our prayers, for we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Can I encourage you to take a pew Bible and turn with me to page 1093, where you'll find Acts chapter 2. And this morning we're looking at the first 21 verses. Next week, uh, Bill will take you through from 22 uh, right to 42. Um, and then the third um, part of chapter 2 will come in, in two weeks' time, uh, where we look at what they were devoted to. Let me pray for us as we come to God's Word this morning on this uh, Pentecost passage.
Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we pray that your Spirit would be our teacher through the Word of God, and we pray that our hearts and our minds will be molded and shaped by it and transformed to be more like your Son, we pray. Lord, open your Scriptures to us, we ask in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The following uh, events all have something in common. The first one is this, the landing on the moon, which was quite a historic moment in history and time. And then we had the civil rights movement with Martin Luther King and this amazing I Had a Dream um, speech, which he did. In 1989, some of you might remember the fall of the Berlin Wall, another major moment in history and time. And then sadly, the tragic events of 9-11 and then in London later as well dramatic moments. And these events in history and time were life-changing. They're significant. And they're also a time when they hurled it in a new era. They were hugely significant. And here in this morning in Acts 2, we come to a time in history which is hugely significant, which is hurling in a new era as well. It's an event which in many ways turned the world upside down. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit given to the apostles of the risen Lord Jesus. Why is it so important and significant both then and today for us? This passage, I want to divide it into three sections for us, verses 1 to 4, verses 5 to 13, and then verses 14 to 21, so that you know where we're going. So the first one is this, verses 1 to 4, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost was celebrated in Jesus' day 50 days after the Passover, and it was traditionally a harvest festival. And so we see in chapter 2, verse 1, do you see it there in front of you? That on the day of Pentecost, they were all together. So we can assume that this is the apostles, but also, if you look back to chapter 1, verse 15, it could also include the 120 that were gathered in. They were all together again in one place, and they were in that place. And then four things happen in verses 1 to 4. Four S's, not not the iPhone, all right? Four S's this morning from verses 1 to 4. The first one is this, they heard sound in verse 2. Do you see it? A sound, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. David Peterson in his commentary on Acts says that the wind is an emblem of, of the spirit or the creative breath or pneuma of God. John's gospel described the work of the Holy Spirit in the following way. He said, the wind blows wherever it goes. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And here on Acts, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God comes, and it is like the sound of a violent wind. The second S is this, the sight in verse 3 the sight of this, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. Here we have another symbol of God's presence amongst these followers. And fire and the presence of God throughout Scripture is quite common. There are many examples of it. If I were to ask you, can you think of some? Can you think of some fire and the presence of God throughout the Old Testament? Maybe you'd go back to Abraham and his covenant where when God passed through, what did he pass through? He passed through a smoking fire pot, and it symbolizes the presence of God. Do you remember when God met with Moses? Moses saw this burning bush that never burnt out, 
And when Moses comes towards it, God says to him, Moses, Moses, do not come near. Take your sandals off for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Fire and the presence of God, again signifying who he is. When you come to the law on Mount Sinai in Exodus, we're told that God comes down. Listen to these words from Exodus. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like a smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. The symbol of fire and the presence of God. And here in Acts chapter 2 verse 3, we have the fulfillment of John the Baptist's words where he once said this, I'll baptize you with water, John the Baptist said, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am unworthy unto untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And on the day of Pentecost, Jesus sends his spirit from heaven what, and what seemed like tongues of fire rested on them. And so far we have the wind, we have fire, but then we have the third S, which is the Spirit. And we see in verse 4, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. They've been given the Holy Spirit, each of them. And so here in these verses, we see Jesus' words come good, don't we? In the previous chapter, he said this, that in a few days you will receive the Holy Spirit. And when you do, there will be received power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. The blessing of God's Spirit for each individual member of the believing community. And so it comes with power here in these verses. Today, the Holy Spirit is still given to each and every individual who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus. Today, the Spirit is given to individuals, men and women, boys and girls, who call on the name of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is given to followers of Jesus to teach, to remind, to guide, to lead, to convict of sin, to transform, to enable us to be followers and witnesses for Jesus. Amazing, isn't it? That people like you and I can call Abba Father, that it can help, the Spirit helps us in our discipleship, our following after Him, our living our lives for God. And here we see in these three S's, the wind, the fire, and the Spirit of God. And then fourthly, we see that the fourth one is this, speech. Part of the Holy Spirit's enabling of the disciples was that they were able to speak in tongues or languages, verse 4. All of them were filled, it says, verse 4, with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let me ask you this. How's your languages this morning? How's your tongues? Let me tell you a few stories. My mother went to a, a parent-teacher meeting when I was in secondary school, and she met uh, my English teacher who was called Mrs. Mackey. She was uh, a teacher you didn't mess with. She was a, a Thatcher-like individual. Um, and she told my mother with some encouraging words about a report, but she said this at the end, Mrs. Burke, he'll never be a journalist, she said. And uh, to this day, it stays with me. Um, my French teacher, during my leave insert or A-levels, on numerous occasions tried to get me to do ordinary level French. Um, and she pleaded with me at once, do, do ordinary, it'd be better for you, Damien. Um, I got a C in higher level French, and her words were this, I can't believe it. <laughs> and, and, and either could I, to be fair. 
I got a D in my Leaving Cert Irish, ordinary paper, believe it or not. And since that day, I've done Hebrew and Greek. I don't know what the Lord's doing with me. <laughs> I am no linguist. How's your languages? Some of you may be brilliant at them. But here, mine is terrible. And here, you see in this group in Acts 2, how their languages are. For the vast majority of the group here, it would not have been very much. They wouldn't have had much language. They're no linguists. Yet when these ordinary, some unschooled individuals are filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin to speak in other languages, recognizable, intelligible languages, not babbling, because the Holy Spirit enabled them to do so. And on one level, verses 1 to 4 seem like natural occurrences, don't they? You have wind and fire and speech, and yet they are supernatural because of their origin because they're coming from God the Father and God the Son and has sent the Holy Spirit to his followers, enabling them to do this. Luke takes only four verses to explain the coming of the Holy Spirit here in Acts 2. But his priority is something else, because for the rest of it, of this chapter, which is quite a long chapter, Luke will explain what the filling and enabling means and how it leads to witnessing about Jesus Christ. That is where he spends most of his time. And there is a tendency, I suppose, to concentrate on one to four and think of the phenomena of speaking in languages, of the Spirit coming. But Luke's priority is, what does this mean? And how does this help us to speak about Jesus? And that takes us to verses five to 13, which I've called the United Nations in Jerusalem. Because the feast of the festival of Pentecost in Jerusalem had, in Luke's own words, see it, verse 5, it had drawn in every nation under heaven. Now, it's representative, mainly Jews from different parts. And verses 9 to 11 highlights these groups and their geographical areas. The map on the screen kind of shows you the two kingdoms in which these people were gathered into Jerusalem from. On the one hand, you had the Roman Empire, and then you had the Parthian Empire, so left and right of your screen or right and left view. These people groups were predominantly Jewish who had scattered throughout the empire, and some of them were living in Jerusalem, and then others were converts to Judaism. And they hear this sound, and a crowd gathers on Pentecost. And verse 6, we're told, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were given the ability, weren't they? This crowd was stirred together because they heard them speaking in their own native language, possibly Aramaic and Greek, or even Latin, if not more dialects. And look at the crowd's reaction and response. Verse 6, bewilderment. Verse 7, they're utterly amazed. They ask questions, verses 7 and 8. Are not these men Galeans? How is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? In verses 11 and 12, they say, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask each other, what does this mean? The international crowd hears the wonders of God in their own languages. The apostles were given the ability to speak in other languages so that the crowd could hear about Jesus Christ. Stott says this about the apostles. He said, they're inspired and equipped for what would be essentially a verbal ministry. They were empowered to bear testimony to the exalted Christ. The question is this, what are you to make of all this? You see, on the day of Pentecost, it is highly significant that Luke says 
every nation is here. Different languages. That should have presented a problem, a difficulty, a barrier, an obstacle. How do you bring the message of Jesus Christ to different languages and witnessing for Christ? And for these disciples who had only one language possibly, yet God's Holy Spirit enabled the apostles to declare the wonders of God. And we'll see next week, they shared about Jesus as Lord and Christ to this crowd. There is here in Acts 2, both a looking back and a looking forward. And I just want to take a few moments to explain what I mean by that. In Acts chapter 2, you have Pentecost, which looks back. How so? Because if you go into Genesis 11, you will find at one stage, the world had one language and one common speech. It meant people could communicate easily. And the people came with a plan to stop traveling, to settle down, to build a place of brick and mortar. And they had a dream back in Genesis 11. And the dream was this, it's coming up on the screen. We'll build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the earth. This was their dream, to build a city that would reach up into the heavens, up to God, as it were, and make a name for themselves and not be scattered. These plans and dreams of the people in Genesis 11 were opposite to what God commanded them to do. They were told to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Why so? So that God's name could fill the whole earth. And yet they were defying God by their attitude and actions and name for themselves rather than for God. And what does God do in Genesis 11? He comes down and he confuses their languages so they couldn't understand one another. And so their dream was shattered and they're scattered again. The Tower of Babel and all that happened was an act of God's judgment in Genesis 11. But what do you find here in Acts 2? You find the Holy Spirit coming. And rather than the different languages being a barrier, the Spirit overcomes them. Acts 2 is a reversal of the judgment of Babel. It is a redeeming of it. And people hear about Jesus and the wonders of God in their own languages. And that is the wonder of Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. It looks back and it mentions redeeming back what happened at Babel but it also looks forward. Acts 2 looks forward. How is that so? We will see next week in Acts chapter 2 that many people heard the wonders of God, have been told about Jesus who is Lord and Christ, and they repent and are baptized. The Spirit continuing the work of God, of Jesus, drawing people from different nations, languages, and tribes under his name, him. John Stott says this in Acts 2, it prefigures the great day when the redeemed people will be drawn from every nation, tribe, people, and language. It's a trailer, as it were, pointing forward to what is going to happen. Acts 2 is only the beginning, and it is looking forward to what we read in Revelation. And here it is. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every tribe and language, people and nation, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a vision. What a future. It is people from different nations, multi-ethnicities, 
multilingual, declaring the praises of God and the Lamb. And this is what God, the Spirit of God, is involved in here in Acts 2 in a phenomenal way by enabling these apostles to speak about God's wonders in the life and teaching and ministry of Jesus Christ. Get this, ever since Acts 2, we are moving towards Revelation 7 time. We are moving constantly towards that time. So if you are here this morning as a follower of Jesus from Northern Ireland, from one of the African nations, Eastern European, Asian background, even a Southern learner like me, God has brought together under Christ, who is our Lord and Messiah, a people of different nations, languages. And one day, they will declare the praises of God and the Lamb. What a day that will be when that great multitude comes together. Acts 2 looks back, and it redeems what happened in Babel. Acts 2 looks forward, and it says, this is where we're moving towards. And this takes us briefly to the final section, verses 14 to 28. Because no matter whether the phenomenon of hearing the languages, of being bewildered and utterly amazed, of hearing the wonders of God, they still ask the question, what does it mean? Even though these people could hear their one, the wonders of God, they're still bewildered, perplexed, and they're asking, what does this mean? And there's always one joker, isn't there? And Peter starts off his sermon, and then you have a few boys who are trying to make sense of it. In my first year in, in UCC, I, I lived with, with four other guys, one, for, one from Dublin, one from France, who I told you before in a sermon, and, and two lads from West Cork in Castletown Bear, which is about 80 miles away from Cork City in the heart of, of Cork County. And these lads from Cork had quite strong accents, says he, and fast to understand. But once they had a bit of a few drinks if they were out the night before in college, one of them was great at, at a bit of French when he'd come home, a bit of Dutch courage, and he would start speaking French to the French student in the apartment. And I think he was clearer in French than he was in English <laughs> because of the bit of Dutch courage that he had. And that's what he would do. And when the joker here in the verse says, how do we explain this? He says, they've had too much to drink. They've had a bit of Dutch courage. They're speaking in different languages. But do you notice how Peter addresses that? He says, they haven't had too much wine. And Peter says, it's only nine in the morning. It's early in the morning. And you've got to ask the question, why does Peter do that? Why is he so defensive about it? Surely it is this, that he doesn't want the work of the Spirit to be clouded in lies or he doesn't want the work of the Spirit to be mocked or diluted or discredited. And then he goes on and he explains what has happened by connecting it back to the Scriptures of the Old Testament in the book of Joel. And what we have in verses 17 to 21 is Joel chapter 2 of the Old Testament with some slight word changes, but on the whole, it is the prophecy of Joel. And Peter connects these events at Pentecost with the fulfillment of the Scriptures in Joel. Joel was pointing forward to this time. And he says this in verse 17, in the last days. Pentecost time is officially in the last days. The first coming of Jesus has happened. A second coming is happening. We're in the last days here. And throughout the Old Testament scriptures, God spoke of the Spirit of God being given to all people. Not just a few, but to all people. And here in Acts 2, there is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy as the Holy Spirit is poured out upon people, on all flesh, all people. Our girls, when, 
we're having dinner sometimes, just to explain the pouring out. Our, our girls, when we're having dinner, they'll pour water. And we have a little phrase, little and slowly, into the glass. And the reason is, it's normally the opposite. It is fast and loads, and it, it goes over. And that's what you have here in the idea of being poured out. That is a deluge. And it's the same here with the Spirit of God, who is poured out, generously given. And notice the different ages and generations on which the Spirit is given. Verse 17, sons and daughters, young men, old men, men and women servants, the Spirit is given. And there are visions and dreams and prophecies. And these things you see happen throughout Acts chapter 7. Do you remember when, when Stephen was, all, was just about to be killed? He had a vision of the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In chapter 10, Gentile Cornelius had a vision. Peter had a dream of the floating zoo in chapter 10. Visions, dreams, and prophecies declaring the wonders of God as Jesus is made known. And then in verses 19 and 20, God will show wonders and signs before the great and glorious day of the Lord. These signs and wonders are surely all that Jesus did and continued through his apostles as the Spirit enabled them. And then verse 21 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, says Peter. What a wonderful promise to all then and even today that you can be rescued by trusting in Jesus. But you've got to ask this question, who is he? And from verse 22, which you'll see next week, Peter explains who this Jesus is from the Old Testament so that people can call on the name of him. In closing this morning, I just want to apply or try to just put a few points across. These events of Acts 2 are supernatural and extraordinary times here. They shape and direct the early church and the New Testament apostles as they went out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit enabled the apostles to speak in tongues. But don't confuse it with the speaking in tongues of 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. They're different. They're different purpose and form. Don't confuse those. The languages spoken here in Acts 2 are languages that are recognizable and do not need, per se, someone to interpret them. Here in Acts 2, it was public and for the nations. In 1 Corinthians, predominantly, it is for the edifying of the church and to God. But the question is this, over whether these events of Acts 2 are normative for the church today is a big question. These are extraordinary times in Acts 2. But what we can say is that the same spirit today is at work through the gospel of the Lord Jesus, revealing and drawing men and women to the exalted Lord Jesus, just as he did at Pentecost. The apostolic era is over, but through the church, God's people, Jesus is continuing to minister through his Holy Spirit to make people know his son, the Lord Jesus, so that they can be rescued. And we are moving towards that Revelation 7, where there will be from every nation and tongue and language and tribe, a people declaring the praises of God. There are barriers to overcome, hostility of the world, cultural, political, internal, sinful hearts and minds. But we see here in Acts 2 that the Holy Spirit overcame the language barrier so that Jesus may be known and the church be added to. Folks, these are wonderful moments in history and time, and God is still drawing people to himself from different nations, 
that without the Spirit, the Christian cannot continue their discipleship and their following of Jesus. And so he enables us, as his people, to make Jesus known across the nations, and he will overcome the obstacles in order to draw many others to himself. Let me pray for us this morning. Father God, we thank you this morning for the gift of the Spirit of God that is given to those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus. Father, thank you for the Spirit's work in our lives over history and time. Thank you for convicting us of sin. Lord, thank you for those moments of, of teachings and reminding us of your truths. Thank you for those times when you have strived with us in our sinfulness and our arrogance and our pride. And thank you that the Spirit is continuing to transform and change us as we read God's Word, as we walk with the Lord humbly. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Spirit. And today, Lord, we see the bigger purpose, that the work of Jesus continues through the Spirit, through his church, as he calls people from different nations and languages and tribes to, to know who Jesus is. Lord, we thank you for that purpose that you give us. And we pray and thank you for the enabling of the Spirit of God to do that. And we pray that it will indeed, Lord, return praise and glory and honor to your name as you see the kingdom of God built up and extended in this place and across the world, we pray. Lord, thank you for this passage this morning. May we chew over it and delve into it deeper. And may you bless it to our lives and our hearts as we go to work tomorrow, as we do different things over these coming weeks. Help us to declare the praises and wonders of God in the context that you have set us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.